Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Andrew Hailed. So for the last few weeks, I've been thinking about this question. How did Jesus respond to people? How did Jesus respond to people? And the follow-up question that came to mind for me is, how do I respond to people? And my answer to that question initially was, well, it depends on who the person is. Whether it's a good friend of mine, yeah, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, what's been going on? It's an acquaintance, hey, how you doing? Uh, whether it's, you know, a boss, oh, better straighten the tie, make sure I've got my, my ducks in a row. Um, maybe it's Brock, you say, hey, from across the room as he's talking to somebody else, and then somebody else says hi to Brock and somebody else. If you ever go to the branch with Brock, just know that you will be interrupted. <laughs> it's not his fault. Um, but as I think about that, you know, how do you respond to people? When somebody approaches you or there's somebody walks into the room, do you want to hide? Do you want to approach them somewhere in between? But how did Jesus respond to people? I would suggest that he invited and to the extent even challenged them to relationship with God. True relationship that requires work and commitment, not just to, hey, how you doing? Hey, this is kind of cool. Let's hang out, God. I encourage you to do that but a relationship that requires work and commitment. Maybe it's time in the word. Maybe it's you need to be diligent when you get up in the morning. Maybe it's being diligent when you go to bed at night. Maybe it's you need to look at how you approach the other people in your lives and how am I representing Jesus. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the passage from John chapter nine, so we'll be looking at that here. And Jesus and the disciples are going through town And there's a blind man who has been blind since birth. And the disciples see him, and they turn to Jesus and say, Rabbi, or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So Jesus responds saying, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. And so after he said this, he spits on the ground and makes some mud. Now, if I'm the blind guy, I hear this conversation, and suddenly I hear somebody spitting at me, I'm going to be like, oh, gosh, somebody else spit at me. And then all of a sudden, somebody's touching your eyes with mud from the spit. You just heard them spit on the ground. I think I'd be like, what are you doing? But apparently he didn't do that. So Jesus spits in the ground, makes a little bit of mud, rubs it on the guy's eyes, and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so the man went and he washed, and then he went home seeing. And so as he's walking up to his house, his neighbors are like, hey, is that Joey? Is that so-and-so? Yeah, I think it is. What, isn't he supposed to be down by the, over there begging? What is he doing walking home? 
So other people are like, no, that's not him. That's not him. He, he's, a, he's, he's blind. That can't be that. He just looks like him. But he, he hears them talking. He says, that's me. It was me. I am that guy. I am that man. I'm Joey. So they, of course, say, then how were your eyes opened? What happened? You've been blind since birth. And he replies, this man named Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud, and rubbed it in my eyes. Now, if you're that neighbor, <laughs> you're telling me that somebody spit, made mud, and rubbed it on your face, and now you can see. And he says, yes. But it wasn't just any person, it was this man, Jesus. And not just that, he told me to go and wash my face, and I went and I did what he said, and now I can see. And so there's still like, where's this guy? What are you talking about? And he's like, I don't know. So I would suggest that Jesus didn't come to answer questions. He didn't come to answer questions about the law. He didn't come to answer questions about God. God had done a pretty clear job of doing that over and over and over with the Israelites and with the Jews. And so as followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus came to fulfill the law, to fulfill those prophecies. And he came to show us what it means to live in faith. What does that mean, to live in faith? What, how do we act with other people? Is it, I need to do the right thing? Is it that I should do stuff so that I get the benefit of it? But to live in faith, to live in something that you believe in. And not to just settle and say, hey, I've got a relationship with Jesus. He accepts me for who I am. He accepts me for what I am. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. But there should be a life change in our internal life as well as our external life. Maybe even to the point of other people that you interact with saying, what's different about that guy? What's different about that woman? Yeah, they, they're pretty diligent in how they go about their lives, but what's different about them? Jesus also came to not let us determine our own truth, but to present himself as the truth, as the being to put our faith in I mean, he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For the Youth Institute published a book titled Growing Young. We went to a, a Sunday school class a couple months back about some of the ideas presented in this book. And partway into the book, they're talking about some research that they did. And they interviewed a variety of young adults and emerging adults and young people from across the country about their understanding of faith, or how would they describe what faith means. And so they put all of the responses together and came up with uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. You know what that means? I don't. Um, so I, we broke it down, they obviously describe it in the book, but moralistic, in that religious young people equate faith with being a, a good person. Faith is about being, I'm a good guy, I take care of people, I do what needs to be done to take care of my family. Therapeutic in that I feel better about myself or the things that I'm doing. Faith makes, helps me feel better. It's something I can lean on when I'm feeling sad, when I'm upset. And then deism in that God exists. There's some sort of being out on a regular basis. So we have faith meaning be a good person, doing so makes me feel better about myself, 
and somehow God's involved. Notice there's no mention of Jesus. Notice there's no mention of sin, of brokenness, of needing a savior. And I would suggest that we all, myself included very much so, lean on these understandings of faith from time to time. And as you really think about it, that's an easygoing or watered down gospel. We haven't really known or seen the realness of faith in those times where we're relying on what that description of faith means. So we see Jesus as this good guy. We see words that he says, maybe you're good. We see words and say, hey, I like that. I connect with that idea. That's, that makes sense to me. And I think when we're looking at that, we need to know that when we approach faith, that we need to have absolute truths or essential truths, if you will, in our lives. Things that we know to be true regardless of how we feel about them or what we even think about them. As I was thinking about this more, there's a song by Newsboys. It's called We Believe. And it reads, we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. And we believe in the Holy Spirit and he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again. Pretty basic, pretty straightforward there. There's not a lot of exponential conversation there. We can talk more about that if you would like to, but I encourage you to check out that song. But two, I wanted to make sure we touched on this morning that I believe our essential truths is that Jesus was the son of God. He was 100% man and 100% God. That he was born, lived a human life, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again. And I also wanna make sure we say that recognize that we are sinners, that we have a separation from God, that we are broken and in need of a savior who needs to reconcile or restore our relationship with God. And there's so much more there and I encourage you to check out uh, IYM's Faith and Practice. We have a few of these books laying around if you wanna know what we as a church stand for, what we believe are essential truths to our faith as followers of Jesus. You can also check out our website if that's a little bit easier for you. But what our world and our culture want us to believe in, what they want us to believe faith is, is that everyone would be better off if they believed in my truth. Or another way to say it might be, truth is unique to my observation of it, and somehow everyone else would be better off accepting my truth. If you just understood the way I saw it, if you knew what I had experienced, you would get why I see, the way, see things the way that I see them. And while there needs to be room for experience, room for what happens in life, that doesn't mean we change what we understand to be true about Jesus. A quote that I took a lot of time to research, that's a lie. Bill Lowe did a lot of research to find this quote for me. Um, he had talked about it and it says, I am not interested in standing for what I believe in, but in standing for the truth. I and my conscience are liars. God's law is truth. That's a quote by R.C. Sproul. Another way to say it and that I like to summarize it, so maybe I'm changing the truth of it, I don't know. But I don't stand up for what I believe in anymore. I stand up for the truth. The only truth is God's word. So let's jump back in here into the story of the blind man. The blind man who doesn't know where this Jesus is but has been given sight since he has been blind 
since birth. So they take him to the Pharisees or the, the court system, if you will. And the Pharisees are like, who is this guy? There's no way. He was, he's been born blind since birth. There's no way this is the same person. So they ask him, okay, what happened? Tell your story. He put mud on my eyes, rubbed him on my eyes, and then he sent me to wash in the pool of Siloam, and now I can see. So some of the Pharisees are wanting to discount Jesus and say, this man is, is not from God, for he works on the Sabbath. He doesn't keep the holy day. But others say, how can a sinner perform something like that? There's no way that this man who was blind can now see if it's not an act from God. So they turn to a blind man again and say, what do you have to say about that? It was your eyes he opened, and he said, maybe he's a prophet. But they still didn't believe that he had been blind since birth. Even though they knew who this guy was, they still didn't believe him. So they called for his parents to come to the court, and they interview his parents and say, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? And then how is it that he can see now if he is who he says he is? And the parents say, this is our son, but we don't know how he can see. We weren't there but he's of age. Ask him yourself. They said that because they were afraid because the Jewish leaders had already said that if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, they would be thrown out of the synagogue. So ask him. So a second time, they turn to the blind man and they say, give glory to God while you tell us this. What happened? I was blind and now I see. But what did he do? How did he open your eyes? He said, I just told you. Why do you want to know so bad? Do you want to be a follower of him too? Which that ticked off all of the religious leaders. They were not happy that he just challenged them. So there's, you know, they're hurling insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples or followers of Moses. And the man answers, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. You said it yourself. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So instead of hearing the truth in his words, they just threw him out. We're done with you. We don't believe you. There's no way this is true. Get out. There's a, I guess you'd call it an apologetic argument called liar, lunatic, or Lord. And the explanation behind that is as you look at the message of Jesus, as you look at his words, he's either a liar, though he knew what he was saying was false, but he talked about it anyway, shared it, got people to follow him. But if you are a liar, why would you go through the most excruciating death possible if it's all not true? What would be the purpose behind that? He could be lunatic. It could be he believes these things to be true. And people followed him. And that would be why he died on the cross. But, but I think people are pretty smart. And they're going to pick up on maybe some inconsistencies and in maybe what he might have been saying. Or they might pick up on, this guy's a little weird. Which some people, I'm sure, thought, about, thought that about Jesus. Or that he is who he said he is and that what he had to bring was true and that he was truly the son 
of God. And so the freeing message we have for people as followers of Jesus is that God is not found through good behavior. He's not found through structure or necessarily even tradition. But it's found through relationship. That God desires to love and be loved. That's why he created us. And that through that relationship, we are raised to new life. We're raised to maybe a, a new perspective. We're raised to new ways of living that are instilled in us as we work and put time into this relationship that we have with God. Until the extent that it becomes second nature so that the first thought we think of, the first action that we have is the same action that Jesus would have had. He wants to restore us to the way he originally created us to be before the fall. But what we want, the world wants us to believe is that everybody can be who they're going to be. Everybody's gonna do what they're gonna do. And you can do that as long as it doesn't infringe on who I am. You can't infringe on my truth. There's a quote, or actually it was a post that came out on social media here in the last week from John Cooper, who is the lead singer of the band Skillet. Uh, Skillet is a Christian rock band. I recommend you look them up. Uh, they've got some good stuff. But partway down into the, his post, he had a quote. And he says, It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who do not supremely value truth and who have now led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. What he's getting at is that there have been, uh, specifically in what he's referring to, are, are young worship leaders from around the world who are, have um, grown up in the faith or they are professing to be leaders in the faith and through, I'm sure, experience, through their situations, they've come to express and express publicly I no longer believe in this Jesus. But this is what I believe now. And publicly encouraging people to consider those ideas as well. And so Mr. Cooper wants to express that it can't be how we feel. That doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change what God believes or what God expresses to be true about himself. Growing up, I had the privilege of riding my father's school bus all the way through sophomore year of high school. It was a joy. <laughs> I had to be the first one on the bus, last one off. If I got in trouble, it wasn't just on the school bus. I carried over to home. But one of the, uh, a couple years into that, the school system tried to institute a jingle, if you will, as to how to get students to stay in their seats. And so the jingle goes back to back, seat to seat, feet on the floor. While I don't know if anybody else remembered it, I very much remember that jingle. It consistently comes to mind whenever I pass a school bus. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> and the reason I bring that up is I think that is how we as humans tend to view faith. It's that our back needs to be on the back of the seat, seat, back of the back, back on the back of the seat, you got it. <laughs> but what I, how we as humans tend to view faith is back to back, seat to seat, feet on the floor. Sit up straight, sit still, do what you're supposed to do. 
We know the rules. We may even know the scripture behind it. But we've lost the heart. We've lost the reason. We've lost the relationship that is intended through God's word. But if we are doing these things and we have the heart behind it, okay, then that's awesome. But how do we live it out? Because even then the question is, how do we live it out? Is it become rules? Is it, I need to act this way? I need to do this on a Sunday morning. I need to do this with my family before bed, whatever it might be. But what it requires is a heart change. It's a heart change with a focus on relationship with God. God tells us to listen to Jesus verbatim in order to enter into better relationship with him. Matthew 17, five reads, while he was still speaking, A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. God says, Listen to what Jesus has to say. Listen to what he has to say. Listen to the words, read his words, and look at them in the context of who I am. An additional quote from Mr. Cooper reads, God wants us to live by a higher standard which is not an earthly standard, but rather the kingdom of God standard. So when we approach God, we are no longer approaching him with, I get to decide how we play this game. I get to decide how to live my life. God, I want you to show me. I want you to express to me. I want you to bring people around me to show me how do I live my life based on a kingdom of God standard. Isaiah 40, verse eight reads, the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever. So after the man is thrown out of the synagogue, Jesus hears about it and he goes and he finds him. And he says, do you believe in the son of man? And the guy goes, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is standing in front of you. And then the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He heard Jesus speak to him, and his response is, Lord, I believe, and then to worship. To recognize his relationship had been restored, that he was encountering his creator. We think about when, how Jesus responds to people. We're finishing here with, how did this person, how do we as people respond to Jesus? There's a lot of uncertainty surrounding maybe interpretations of scripture, but what does the scripture say? What do we as followers of Jesus believe based on what the scripture tells us? Experience is important. Experience points us to where Jesus is at, how he's moving, how he's active, and it should reinforce the truth that he has already expressed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you we can have relationship with him. Thank you that we can gather together to recognize that you are Lord and we get to hear from you this morning through music, through words, through what you're saying in our hearts. What are you stirring in us? God, we want to love you more. We want to represent you in our lives. We want to represent you as we approach people. 
We want to know how you respond to people. We want to know how to respond to those in our lives. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for showing us what is true, regardless of what we think or how we feel about it. We know that you are who you are and that you will never change. Thank you for that. God, you are good. God, you are holy. We glorify you. Amen. So we're so glad you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.